Well, um, I feel funny just speaking in English without a Chinese interpreter. Um, but I would like to uh, explain why we're doing this uh, at the outset, that we don't have a live translation uh, this time. And that is because uh, these messages will be recorded and uh, many other sisters elsewhere, uh, perhaps not only in Canada but in the U.S., may view them. And so uh, for that purpose, we feel it is best that we would just speak in um, English without any other kinds of translation. So I would uh, ask all the Chinese-speaking sisters, especially those who may have a little challenge with um, uh, listening to Chinese to, um, um, to help and be kind to us and not complain. Uh, I will try to speak a little slower uh, to help you along. Um, the other um, reason is that these uh, gatherings like this I don't know, uh, in the brothers' announcement, they call it variously uh, a sister's conference, maybe, or a sister's fellowship, or in some cases, they said some special fellowship for the sisters. Uh, It's okay, but I would like to name these times or these meetings simply as what you see on your outline on the top, lessons sisters. Um, These messages are not merely uh, some inspirational message uh, or some standalone messages of fellowship uh, given to sisters. Uh, There's a place for that, and I surely have done my part in various places I visited uh, in having times with sisters, with question and answers, this and that. But this uh, is a kickoff time, this time in Richmond, of a series. This is a series of messages. Uh, Perhaps it is something that even we have not done before um, in the churches that I know of. A series of uh, continuous messages uh, in the form of lessons, in the form of lessons, and which means there is an educational aspect to this fellowship, not just for inspiration, but for a kind of learning, a kind of education. You say, what kind of education are you talking about? Well, first of all, the nature of this education, if I may use the term, don't be scared by me, okay, don't not come again, Uh, And that is, I would use the word perfecting. Or you can even use the word training. Now many of you know your husbands maybe have been involved in two long years of training for brothers across this country. Two long years. I really salute you and commend. uh, Not the brothers. The sisters for uh, tolerating that and for supporting that and for keeping the 
home front going, so to speak, so that the brothers can participate in those trainings. I really sincerely mean that, and I want to say a big thank you to all the dear sisters who have done just that. I know it was not easy, but it was the Lord's leading, and we felt it was a timely thing to do uh, so that the Lord can strengthen and raise up many more brothers uh, to serve the Lord in the church life by bearing responsibilities. Um, So this series of meetings that we will have, you may ask, uh, how are you going to conduct it? this, I'm going to get to that, um, is in the same nature of training and perfecting, all right? Um, uh, Some of you um, uh, came here today uh, because it was not that clear what we were going to do. That, well, uh, for sisters to come together, this is a uh, wonderful time to see other sisters and... uh, (laughs) Uh, to blend together and uh, have fellowship and uh, say hi to people that we've been seeing for a while. That, that's fine. That's good. But I must tell you that is not the purpose of these times. Um, I hope you would understand. You have come to a class. You have come to learn some lessons. You have come to be educated in how to be a proper sister in God's economy and in the body life in the churches. Some of you may have the idea that you have come here because we're sisters, we're the weaker vessels, according to the Apostle Peter, and probably uh, we're going to get some soothing fellowship, some... Some therapy, you know, some sister's therapy. Uh, um, some, some brother will say some kind words and sweet words to us, uh, to shepherd us, to make us feel a little bit more happy. Well, that is not bad either. The Lord is the shepherd of our souls, isn't he? But I would like to say even that is not the purpose of these times. Let me repeat again. These are very, very important moments. This series of fellowship or classes or lessons for that matter. It is to, with a deep and heavy burden, uh, that in the churches, many more sisters, uh, not just the older ones among us, thank the Lord for the senior, older sisters, who have been around and have provided a good pattern for the younger ones. But the burden within is really more for the so-called younger sisters. And I won't put an age uh, limit to that or age even range to that. But sisters who are with us, uh, who are up and coming, some are new, some are not that new, Uh, Because in the church life as a rule, we do not pay specific attention to the sisters in the sense of providing a kind of fellowship that is exclusive uh, to meet their need, just generally in the church life. So uh, there may be some 
deficiency, some shortage or some lack. Because I uh, helped to take the lead in a local church. And on top of that, I travel to many churches uh, throughout North America and elsewhere. Uh, My observation tells me that that is a rather universal phenomenon. And that is we have many, many sisters in the church life. You know, the famous formula is according to the formula of the house of Bethany. Am I right? Where there are two sisters, Martha and Mary, and one guy or one brother, and that would be Lazarus. In fact, Lazarus is not even just the minority. He is actually the silent member. Uh, The sisters were the ones doing the talking, and that would be Martha and Mary. Uh, So the case is made uh, uh, by that illustration that uh, there should always be two-thirds sisters and one-third brothers. There's a point to that. But while the sisters are in the majority, and as we will see even in these two first, first two lessons, how in, just how important they are, they are not actually given the commensurate uh, training or help uh, or instructions in just how they should function, how they should live, how they should be, how they should serve uh, in the church life. So, in a sense, they have been deprived of a amount of spiritual education. And so this particular line of fellowship or these lessons is aimed to make that up. Now, um, over uh, the last many years, I personally have been very burdened about this matter um, uh, to the point that I feel something like this, rather than just hit-and-miss fellowship, is really needed. We owe it to the dear sisters in the church life. We very, very much owe it to you to have these kinds of lessons. So with that kind of a bit of introduction, I hope all the sisters here, you would know what this is about. And you would also um, pray for this very much accordingly. And also to um, commit yourself, if I may say so, uh, to these lessons. You see, it is one thing to listen to a message and it can vaporize pretty quickly. By tonight, when you get home and see your husband with a long face, uh, all you heard in these four hours will be gone. Likely. So... Um, I don't trust uh, so much in inspirational messages as a result. I rather trust in a proper kind of education. But we don't want this education or this training to be so rigid, to be so difficult, to be so demanding that it is you feel uh, you cannot just uh, uh, meet the requirements. And this is why we have some kind of registration, I believe, but we're not that strict. The important thing is I like these messages to reach as many sisters as possible in the church life, number one. And number two, I would like the sisters 
along with the regular church life and all the food, spiritual food that we're eating, and all the lines that we have in the church life, the morning revival, the, uh, the prophesying meeting, what have you, to have this one line with you for some time in your fellowship. You know, it would be a good thing if I can recommend that not only you come to these meetings once in a while, uh, when these fellowship would come again in the form of um, uh, uh, videos and so on, that you can catch up with them. Um, I don't know the brothers, I'm sure will work something out for you to do that. But on top of that, uh, that you can, how about in an organic fashion, uh, in a, in a um, as the Lord leads, how about even form twos and threes? Uh, now, I'm not, very, I'm not a stickler to that, just twos and threes. You can have four if you want, right? Uh, four or five. But the point is a small number so that you can be on the phone, so that you can be on Google Hangout, on Skype, whatever you do, with sisters in your neighborhood or some sisters who are in college in the same school. Here and there, just as sisters, no brothers, right? You would get into... Uh, a kind of review of these uh, messages. Because the more you get into them, the more you study them, I mean the word here, the outline there, even I believe you got some ministry excerpts there, you would really, really benefit from them. Not just temporary inspiration, but you're really picking up some very, very useful points. Now, The bottom line is that the sisters in the church life will be therefore, will be thus cared for and also be perfected to a good degree so that in all the churches, the sisters really will come into their God-ordained function. Our dear Brother Lee, in a certain book and in some future messages we'll talk about it, said this, 70% of the building up of a local church depends on the sisters. That means two-thirds. So it's not only numerically there are two-thirds sisters, but function-wise, the sisters' importance, the sisters' role, occupies also 70%. And Bradley did not say that just carelessly. He actually cited uh, examples an experience that he had, particularly when he was in Shanghai, China, back in the late 40s, where he was given the responsibility to take care of that large church. And there he told us in a certain message that he said the church in Shanghai was built up by the sisters. They're brothers, and we need the brothers. Okay, for sure, I think we all understand that. But the sister's role, it is just too, too, too important. All right, now that is a kind of introductory word. I beg the sisters that you will really pray very much for these meetings, and you will pursue these lessons one by one by getting into them in smaller groups, um, and finally, I would even say one last, one more thing, very, very important. 
um, uh, to augment these lessons, to make these lessons come alive. And that is, you would even look to the Lord to practice what you heard. I like to make these things very, very practical, not just truth, not just some revelation, but you would practice these things. The apostles' word was to the Philippians, what you have seen in me, what you have heard in me, what you have received from me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace are with the practitioners, not just the hearers and the observers. And I would like to say these days in the church life, the most important, what second to revelation is application and experience. So I hope that you would pray along this line and enter into these things in your church life practice. Now, today, We start out with lesson one and lesson two, and two very, very, very important words, extremely important. Um, Even some of you may have heard something here and there about these things, or even have read some books from which we have drawn these points. I would really ask all of us to be open again to the Lord with a pure heart, with a poor spirit, open to the Lord again and say, Lord, speak something to me afresh. Say something to me at the present time in a new way. Okay, the uh, topic this afternoon is the importance of the sisters in the church life. Very, very obvious the importance of the sisters in the church life. What can I say? You know, I help to prepare these outlines, and then afterwards I look at them again, uh, recently because of these meetings. I kid you not, after I read even these first two lessons, I said, Lord, why didn't you make me a sister? <laughs> now you may say, well, you're just trying to take a lesson, tease us and make us feel good. No, I did not. I didn't have you in mind at all. But that was not even the first time I felt that way. As I got, get into much of the ministry speaking concerning the role and function of the sisters, I often end up with that sensation, that question to the Lord. I wish I was a sister. I wish you had made me a sister because I began to see the position and the usefulness of the sisters to God in the church life, in God's economy. And I am not exaggerating, sisters. I'm a brother here. But I'm not exaggerating this. Um, I'm not what you call a feminist, okay? Equality of sexes. Uh, I want to, you know, bring you up so that you feel equal to the brothers. 
I'm not for those kind of things. That's worldly. We're in a different realm. We're in the realm of God. We're in the spiritual realm. However, in this realm, I would say even the more, it's not even about equality of sexes. In a certain way, from a certain angle, all right, through a certain lens, it is true that the sisters function are more important than the brothers. And myself, I have been, I shared this with you before, a beneficiary of that. And the same with Brother Watchman Nee and so many other servants of the Lord in time past. Without the sisters, they would not be what they were. Now, let's just uh, go through this outline. I, I will speak quite freely, underscoring certain things, and uh, according to the burden of the Spirit. The first one I would read, In Christ, who is the head of the body, there's no difference between male and female. But in the body, there's a difference between male and female. That is between the brothers and the sisters. Now, you may not know that, but in the book of Galatians, chapter 4, there is a very, very interesting um, uh, verse here, which is verse 28, that... Um, Uh, that is quoted here, where Paul, the apostle, said something like this. There cannot be Jew or Greek. There cannot be slave nor free man. This this is very Pauline. He he had this utterance in, in other places, in Corinthians, in Colossians, and so on. But then he added this in Galatians. There cannot be male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So some of these feminist Christians would pick up this verse and go around and advocate. You see, even the apostles said this. There's no male, no female. Everyone is equal. Everyone is the same. Well, we have to make a distinction here. As far as our being in Christ, in Christ, There is no difference between male or female. In Christ, there's no male. And in Christ, there's really no female. It is true. That is absolutely the case. Just like there is no Jew and there's no Greek. There's nothing. In Christ, there's only Christ. And he says, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. We're all one. There's no separation, there's no distinction, there's no difference, not even male and female. However, however, that said, in the church, in the body of Christ, there is a difference between male and female and between brothers and sisters. And this you can see uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, where a similar utterance was made by Paul. Um, he said this. He said, uh, what? 
In 13, verse 13, For also in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, but no mentioning of male and female. And we're all given to drink one spirit. Why? Because chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians does not just talk about our being in Christ. This is a chapter on the body. It talks about the body life. And in the church, the Lord's body, there is a difference between male and female, brothers and sisters. So A, you have 1 Corinthians 11 speaks definitely concerning the difference between man and woman, especially in the matter of headship. So chapter 11 now in 1 Corinthians, which um, is obviously before chapter 12, you know, in that chapter, that famous chapter 11, it talks about what? It is a chapter that touches on this matter of head covering, okay? Or the headship in this universe. And when it comes to the matter of headship in this universe, which touches God's administration, there is a difference between male and female, a big difference. All right. We're going to have upcoming lessons that cover exclusively this subject. Today I won't spend much time on, on this matter. But sisters, you certainly should not say, well, good, no difference between male and female. Me and my husband is equal. He's not my head. Well, you're wrong. The Bible plainly says the man is the head of the woman, like it or not. That's not my word, that is the Lord's word. It's also say that Christ is the head of man, and even God is the head of Christ. Even Christ is under a head. That is the Father God. So, there is a difference, alright? So B, this indicates that in the church, the difference between the brothers and sisters still exists, In Christ, this difference does not exist. We're all, for example, we're all brothers. Am I right? There's no, no, God doesn't have daughters. Well, in certain places it seemed to say that. But actually, Christ is the, what? Firstborn son of God. And all of us, including you sisters, are the many daughters. No, according to the word, the many sons. So you're all brothers of Christ. That is in Christ. But in the practical church life, in the body life, the difference between male and female remains. So I hope that you can see these two sides and be balanced. We should not think that because the difference between male and female still exists in the body, So the standing of the sisters is not important. Well, because in chapters like 1 Corinthians 11, it says the man is the head, the women have to cover their head, and then it talks about the women should submit, right? Husband, love your wives. Wives, submit to the husband. And it seems in many places the sisters are given a sort of a lower position, apparently, a subservient position 
But I like to tell you, sisters, and I'm going to say this again and again and again. It's in the Word, and I like to speak this really from my heart to you, that the standing of the sisters, the position, not in a sense of a rank, but in the sense of a standing of the sisters is most important. Most important. To think that sisters are unimportant or not useful is absolutely erroneous, absolutely wrong. Sisters, you are important. Very, very important. To think otherwise is wrong. For brothers to have that thought, I would say, brother, you are wrong. You are more than wrong. The sisters are very, very important people. I treasure the sisters for that reason. For the sake of the church life. For the sake of the body. For the sake of God's economy. Number two, if we read the entire New Testament, we'll realize that in the church life, from a certain perspective, not from all perspectives, from a certain perspective, the standing and function of the sisters, I'd like you to underscore those two words, standing and function of the sisters, are more important than those of the brothers. More important than those of the brothers. Now let's take a look. This is a wonderful survey, okay, of the New Testament from this perspective. I think after we see all of this, we'll all be convinced. The three main steps, listen, taken by the Lord Jesus when he was on the earth, right, was number one, his incarnation. This is a great thing. Never happened in human race that God would come into a man. The word would become flesh. That Christ, Jesus, would be born of a human being and become one. This incarnation is the greatest thing in the universe and the first main step the Lord took in his work in God's New Testament economy. The second thing, his crucifixion. I think we all agree with this. Christ's crucifixion, the cross, is the center of this universe. And what happened those six hours on the cross is momentous. It is absolutely colossal in God's economy. The termination of the entire old creation and the germination of the new creation that God is after. The accomplishment of the work of redemption. All of this, all of this, 
you will see that sisters were deeply involved with it. Now the third thing, the third great act, or third great fact in God's New Testament economy is the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ. I tell you, I, I, these three things again, incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection. These are the three main steps that God himself took as a man in the flesh. It says here, related to each of these three steps, a sister was involved. Actually, I would say more than a sister. But at least a sister, a particular more prominent sister, was involved. Now, don't take this lightly. You just say that's accidental. Or that's just happenstance. Um, no. No, I will tell you it's not. It was ordained by the Lord in this way that a sister must be involved in these great acts. This great divine and human acts of Jesus Christ. Now let's take a look. Number one, the Lord was incarnated through Mary, his mother. (laughs) Sisters, how about this? Have you ever thought that the New Testament actually began seriously with a sister? As far as the story related to the Lord himself. Have you thought about that? Didn't start with a man. Start with a woman. The mother of the Lord, Mary. I think this is phenomenal. Now, I, I, I don't know about you. That's why I have thought, I asked the Lord, why didn't you make me a sister? The Lord could not have been born. He would not have become incarnated without a woman. Now, of course, I don't have the time. This harks back to Genesis. In Genesis, after men fell, the prophecy came. Right? That what? That it's the seed of a woman. That is going to bruise the devil, the serpent's head. That first prophecy, the good news, the gospel ever given to the fallen man, was about a woman. A woman through whom a seed would come. A man would come. And that man is going to crush the serpent's head. Sisters, Think about that. Without this woman, this seed would not have been born. Without 
this particular lady, Mary, which is a very special lady, by the way, there would have been no Jesus. And Jesus would not have been raised up in that particular kind of way to prepare him to be the savior of mankind. A woman. Number two, just before his crucifixion, another Mary. This time, the sister of Martha, belonging to the house of Bethany. What did she do? She anointed the Lord's feet for his burial. Now, I don't know whether this Mary was there at the feet, foot of the cross or not. I, according to my study, it seems he was not there. You know, so many Marys, I believe even you got confused. Which Mary is which? Well, this tonight, we're going to see many Marys. But here, I would like to say, even before the Lord went to the cross, there was one woman who did something to anticipate the Lord's death. By what? By anointing, anointing the Lord while he was alive. And therefore, doing something for the Lord's burial. I mean, the Lord was not even dead. The Lord was not even arrested. And yet, there's this woman who would break the box of ointment and anoint the Lord's feet. You know, after the Lord died, you know, there were two rich men. One is Nicodemus, one is called Joseph. All right? Joseph went to uh, uh, Pontius Pilate and asked to retrieve the body. And Nicodemus, another rich man, the same Nicodemus in John 3, who visited the Lord at night, he brought the spices and the ointment, as is the habit of that day for wealthy, noble people, when they die, they embalm them with ointment and spices. In other words, no one had the chance to do this. It was these people who had some position in society who had the way to do that. These poor women from Galilee, no way. No way they could get the Lord's body. In fact, on Lord, in, 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 in the resurrection morning, they brought some spices with the hope of seeing the Lord and maybe doing something after the fact. To add some ointment on the Lord's dead body. But here's a woman, Mary, who would do something for the Lord's death and burial. Right there, I tell you, the whole room was filled with aroma, filled with fragrance. Right there, she was declaring the sweetness of the Lord's death. A woman. And then, 
after his resurrection, the Lord's resurrection, the first one who saw the Lord Jesus, guess who? Now, 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 do you want to stay as a sister or not? Or you want to be a brother? It's a woman. And this time, with a woman who had demons in her, who was probably a woman of pretty poor repute, didn't have a good name. You understand what I'm saying? But who was saved and who loved the Lord to the uttermost while all the men, meaning the disciples, were snoring probably that first day of the week. She, early on, because she knew where the tomb was, they actually observed the Lord's burial from a distance. She was hoping that she can go and find the tomb open so she can add some ointment to the Lord and whatever. She, was, she went there early, early in the morning and found the tombstone rolled away and the body gone and only the burial clothes and handkerchief left there folded. And she was the one who went back to tell the brothers. And at least in one gospel, the record says they didn't even bother to come. But here in John, they came, and they saw, and they saw the body was gone. They say, "Uh uh-oh. And they went home. They went home. They saw the empty tomb and probably said, somebody took that body away. And of course, at that time, their minds were not enlightened to remember the Lord's prophecy that he would be killed in Jerusalem and to rise up in the, on the third day. They, they, they didn't remember all of that. They just saw, uh-huh, nobody's here. Let's go home. This woman not only was the first one to discover the empty tomb, he, she stayed at the empty tomb. She stayed there. And because of her staying there, the Lord Jesus revealed himself to her, the first human being on earth to see the resurrected Jesus, the resurrected Christ. Listen. The Lord told him, you know, of course, this wonderful little story about she mistaken her as the gardener, right? And then the Lord called her name. She said, Rabboni. She realized it was the Lord. And she wanted to touch the Lord. The Lord says, don't. I have to ascend to my Father. Look, the Lord would reveal herself to a woman before he presented himself to the Father as the first fruit, which should be the first thing he would do. But a woman, a woman calls him to reveal himself. Now you think about that, sisters. And not only so, he said, go tell. I'm going to ascend to my Father, 
which will be your father, my God, your father. Go tell my brothers. Go tell my brothers. And so this woman went to tell the disciples of what she saw. What she saw. The brothers saw the empty tomb. But a woman saw the living, resurrected Christ. Big difference. Big difference. Four, the sisters need to realize that they are the ones bringing the Lord's incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection to people. Why? Why would the Lord use the sisters? That means the Lord had intended these dear ones, these sisters, being the first to participate, first to partake, first to observe, first to witness these momentous happenings to him, these momentous facts that happened to the Lord according to God's grand economy, that they would be the one who would bring these facts, who would bring this story to others. They would be the first to minister to others from their experiences, maybe not doctrinally, but from their experiences, what they experienced, what they enjoyed, what they saw, what they realized. Not to the brothers, I say again, but to the sisters. Dear sisters, I would like to say today that has not changed. That has not changed. It is the sister's job and function to minister the Lord's incarnation and all that has to do with that. The Lord's crucifixion and all that has to do with that. And the Lord's resurrection, and all that that entails. All of that. To minister these things through their experiences to man, to the unbelievers, to the saints, to the church. How important is that role, sisters? How Absolutely crucial is that job. It's your function, sisters. It is your function today. That's why you need to read the Word. It's not just to read the Bible and finish it. It is so that you can see the incarnated, crucified and resurrected Christ afresh. And bringing him into your daily experiences. And then ministering and sharing that to mankind. Sisters, this is you. This is really you. B, according to Luke 8, 2 and 3, 
while the Lord Jesus was on earth. It was not a group of brothers who ministered material things to the Lord and his disciples, but a group of sisters. How many of you have read Luke 8 before today? Luke 8, about when the Lord was going from village to village, from town to town, preaching the gospel, whatnot, with the 12 disciples tailing him, right? Following him. Have you ever wondered who cooked for them? I mean, it's three and a half years of following from city to city, from town to town, who took care of their physical needs. Not just the Lord, but the disciples. Really, I I really ask that question. We have this, I don't know, this miraculous ideas or concept. Well, the Bible doesn't talk about it, so it must be some angels or some... Some good-hearted people that always leave some bowl of food, you know, for them on the roadside for them to pick up. This, <laughs> this chapter debunk your theory, okay? This chapter tells us how it was done, really. And it was a group of women. A group of women. And even name names, starting with Mary, the Magdalene, the, the same Mary who, who saw the Lord on the day of res, uh, morning of resurrection, from whom seven demons came out. And there's some, the name called Joanna, he's the wife of Herod Stewart. This is a pretty high class lady, at least her husband is a very prominent person in government. And another one called Susanna. And many other women. I don't know how many. I really don't know. that. I think there's at least 12. There's 12 disciples. Probably more. Probably more. Who ministered to them out of their possessions. Now don't think this is a small thing. It was not a group of men. I don't think men would care. They may say, here's a hundred bucks, go get your hamburger, okay? (laughs) Women? No, no, it's not like that. They have a hundred dollars. They may even have a thousand dollars. They don't just do that. They cook. They grocery shop. They prepare food. And they serve, probably, the Lord, of course, and these apostles who were also busy ministering from village to village. Do you, do you think I'm logical? And these are material things, material food. I, I tell you, you know, the more I get older, me, and the more I'm in the church life, the more I appreciate the human side of things and not just the spiritual. So the brother will come to me, praise the Lord, brother, 
Grace be with you. I pray for you a lot. The sister would come with a flask of wonderful chicken soup. No grace, no mercy, no nothing. Brother Minoru, you travel a lot. You, you get you know, tired or you, you, know, you, you need strong immune system. So we prepare for you this soup. It's maybe, we don't know whether it's to your liking, the taste, but here it is. I tell you, at that moment, I need more soup than prayer. <laughs> you know, Brother Lee, he always talked about Sister Lee. How, I tell you, without Sister Lee, there's no Brother Lee. I'm talking about the way Sister Lee took care of his health. You will never see Sister Lee. She's always in the back room somewhere listening to the message. I know that. But she took care of Brother Lee's health like strictly, daily, so that Brother Lee could live long and minister. I'm not joking. Without Sister Lee, there's no Brother Lee. Let's go on. In Acts 12.12, after Peter was released from prison... He went to the house of another Mary. (laughs) You know, look, in the Bible, New Testament, how many Peters do you find? One, right? How many John? Maybe two. John Mark and John the Apostle. Two. How many Paul? One. How many Marys? Probably more than six. More than six. Uh, can you get me some clinics? I don't know if you can find. Yeah. So another Mary, the mother of John, where a number of saints were praying. The prayer meeting held in the sister's home ministered much life to the church in that kind of situation. Sisters, I know because I'm married. Who really holds the key to my house? Sisters first before you. You're too late. Did you hear my question? Huh? Who holds the key? Sisters. All right. Who stocks up the refrigerator? I mean, I sometimes go to do grocery, but she makes the list. And I do the shopping, right? I tell you, today, the, the Lord's church life depends so much on open homes. The other times we will talk about that. The open homes is a great need in God's economy in the church life. But who opens those homes? Who makes those homes ready? Who cleans them? Who stocks them? It is the sisters. Sisters. 
You minister life to the church and the saints just by opening your home for prayer, for fellowship, for the, the saints' needs, to entertain, to give hospitality. I mean, my wife and I, we have given hospitality for decades because we're in Southern California. Everyone comes there twice a year, and we have to give hospitality for decades. I tell you, I couldn't have done that. Forget it, forget it. It was her, it was she. And so much life is ministered by that open home. By our open homes, the open homes of the sisters. The sisters are not open, the brothers couldn't do that much, right? D, in Romans 16, Paul mentions the name of a number of sisters in his greetings to the saints. We'll get into that later. My goodness. These dear, dear sisters mentioned by Paul by name with some description. As so shows the apostles' regard, high regard for the sisters. E, if we read all the New Testament epistles until the end of the book of Revelation, we will realize that the standing and function, those two words again, of the sisters can be more important than those of the brothers. We can liken the brothers to the bones of the physical body and the sisters to the blood. Now, I'm not going to argue with you, are bones more important or blood more important? But let's take a look next, too. To have a strong physical body, we need the bones as a frame, no doubt. And we need the blood to support the life of the body. To our body, the blood is more important than the bones. Sisters, in the, this body of Christ, you are more important. You are really more important. Nothing to be proud of. but surely something to be sober about. You know, when someone come to me and say, Minoru, you're really important. Well, two kinds of response. One is I get proud. You know, I'm important, right? And we all know that's a wrong reaction. But the other reaction, when someone would say something, let's say, in a proper way, in a careful way, in a, I tell you, that kind of word to me would cause me to be in fear and trembling, wouldn't it? Lord, um, or I did not know my role is so critical or so important. I thought it was, I'm just dispensable, you know, whether I'm here or do a good job or not, it doesn't matter. My goodness, no. No, I'm critical to this thing, to this situation. Whoa, right away, my whole attitude would change. The way I regard myself, not in the way of pride, but in the way of sobriety, just changes, just changes. I hope, sisters, after these kind of lessons, your whole view about the church life will change. Because your view about your function has changed. 
F, if the body is to be strong, healthy, and sound, the sisters must be right. Proper is the better word. That's why we need these lessons. How to be proper sisters. One, just as it is serious when there's a problem with our blood, whenever there's something wrong among the sisters, there's a serious, serious disease in the body. I'm going to say more in a bit. Two, thus whether a local church is strong or weak, healthy or sick, depends mainly on the sisters. Whoa, sisters, you would say, I don't like this. You're putting all the blame on us. If it's good, it's because of us. If it's bad, it's because of us. We, we, can, we can bear that. Well, this is a fact. Unfortunately, or fortunately, let, let us finish reading. A, regardless of how fine the brothers are, and we have many fine brothers, you agree with me, if the sisters are a problem, the church will be troubled. On the other hand, if there are no problems among the sisters, there will be no problems in the church. The sisters are the factors of calm and peace, and I add another word, harmony. And they also can be factors of trouble and turmoil. And may I use another word, strife. Whether or not the church goes on depends more on the sisters than on the brothers. As long as the sisters are in a healthy spiritual condition, the church will go on very well. Dear sisters, I have seen my share of this, and I say a big amen to these sentences. Not to push all the blame on the sisters. The fact of the matter is, our history, our church life, more than bore this out. And that is, when the sisters in the church are harmonious, have no problems, they love one another, instead of jealousy, disputes, uh, fighting, backstabbing, disagreement. And I have seen my share of this. I've seen it in young sisters. I've seen it in senior sisters. An ongoing kind of what? Problem. We use the two these two co-worker sisters called Iodis and Syntyche in the book of Philippians. That was almost like the only the fly on the ointment for that wonderful church in Philippi. And that is two sisters who are co-laborers with the apostle could not agree. Could not be one. Could not Think the same thing. And that became a blemish in the church, this good church, this top church of Philippi. Sisters, I really also like to say this word to you. This is a perfecting. Learn to let it go. Learn to let your jealousy go. To let offenses go. To let suspicions go, to let disagreements go. 
It's hard to, for sisters to let these things go. So they harbor these resentments in them towards another sister, these kind of uh, eventually even uh, hatred towards another sister in the church. I tell you, when that is the situation, and sometimes all it takes is even one case like that in a church, that will put the church in a kind of turmoil. It will stop the churches going on, really. So the sisters are important positively. The sisters are also (laughs) important negatively. I hope so. I hope you will get this point. Do you want the church to be healthy in your locality? To go on in a strong way? Well, you can cause it to be healthy. Or not. This is why we have the burden to point out that the sister's standing and function, those two words again, in the church are of tremendous importance. Gee, the Lord is the source of all things, including us human beings, but in a practical human way, mothers are the source of mankind. Without mothers, mankind would not be able to continue. In the same way, the sisters are the root, the source of the church. Now I know that in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you have a verse like this. Neither is woman without man, nor man without woman in the Lord. Uh, for just as the woman is out of the man, so also the man is through the woman. But all things are out from God. That's true. But here we're talking about, in a practical sense, in the human society, including our church life, including our families, the sisters are the root, the source of the church. Just as without mothers, mankind would be terminated, the continuation of the church, the corporate new man in God's eternal purpose, depends very much on sisters. That, that means how the church will go on. It's one thing to raise up a church, to plant a church in a city. It's another thing for that, how that church would go on from year to year, even from decade to decade. The sisters come into play. It depends very much on the sister. How the church life would continue. Human society and families depend more on the mother than on the father. In one sense, we need a good mother more than we need a good father. Of course, the best is to have good father and mother. But relatively speaking... It's more important to have a good mother for the child. B, a good father can do much good for his children, but what he does is not so practical and subjective. Now C, this is important. The real, secret, practical, and subjective help comes not from the father's side, but from the mother's. 
If some children lose their father yet still have a good mother, they will still be able to be good children. But if they lose their mother, they lose their source of proper help. I think this is pretty true in all the different cultures and backgrounds. That's how God made man. Two, although the man occupies the higher position in a secret, actual, practical, and subjective way, the real situation of the family depends more on the female side. In the church, it is the same. Now, these words are important. Secret, actual, practical, and subjective. We're not talking about anything administrative here. We're here talking about the day-to-day situation in the church. It's just like a family. The female life, the woman, the mother, the sister, the aunt, they occupy a more important position than the brothers, than the male. So the conclusion, number three, the sisters are a crucial factor in the church life. Okay, sisters? For some of you, I know you heard these things before. That's good. But I'm not sure for all of us. But I feel that, as I said in the beginning, that regardless, I hope by your fresh entrance into these words, into this kind of speaking, will bring about a fresh consecration, a fresh exercise. This is January 2018. And it is good at the beginning of a new season, in this case a new year, to be before the Lord, all of us, individually, personally, before the Lord. To, I do that, to give a review, to do an evaluation of the past year. What the Lord had commissioned me, what the Lord had burdened me, my life, my work, just to lay it before the Lord for his shining, for his checking. I think this is most healthy, most healthy. But not only so, but to look to the Lord for this coming year, for this next season, this next cycle. You know, Christian life is in cycles, both personally and collectively. There's a season. You can miss it. Here's a season in front of of you. Sisters, I hope with the help of these lessons, you can be brought to the Lord and be before the Lord about these things in a most serious way. I especially would like to um, encourage the younger sisters among us because the future is on your shoulders. 
I mean, the Lord knows I cry out within me in prayer. This, this is really in me in prayer. That in the recovery today, the, some of these older sisters who have been trained and perfected properly, uh, they have, many have died, passed away. And many are getting old, frankly speaking. And it worries me, it worries me for the sake of the Lord's interest that we are now short of patterns, short of examples. You know, it's one thing to learn from a lecture, one thing to learn from hearing a lecture. It's another thing to learn by seeing a person live and to see how a person operates. I, would, I can make a case that that actually is a more important learning than just hearing some teaching. So there is a great need among us for older sisters to mentor the younger sisters to become the proper sisters, if the sisters are that important. But I see the moving on of one generation, but it seems that I'm not seeing many sisters rising up, really rising up in the ranks to replace them. To themselves, live this way and serve this way with this kind of a view and therefore becoming examples to others. And so I look at a lot of young sisters among us today's collegiate age, you know, uh, uh, young, even working sisters. Um, I just wish they have more models, more patterns to see. Well, then you say, well, since there's no patterns, we're out of luck, right? What can we do? Well, I would like to challenge you, even if there's no pattern in your church, or there's a lack of patterns in your church. Sister, with this kind of lesson and with this kind of help, if you apply yourself before the Lord with much exercise, I believe the Lord can still do a lot in each one of you, even the younger ones, to make you such a proper sister for the Lord's church. Amen? Are you okay? Really? All right. Okay. I think it is good now for us to just, um, not in a formal way, but in a sincere way, uh, have some prayer with your neighbors. Now, don't pray just to regurgitate some points. Have a sincere prayer before the Lord. Um, The two things we should bring to God in worship to him are this. Number one, offerings. You know, this winter training, the offerings. Number two, it's thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So for the past, we need to give thanks to the Lord for the past year. For the future, we need to make an offering of consecration, a living sacrifice to him. So how about pray a prayer of Um, sacrifice of consecration and then after that 
we will have some uh, fellowship or some overflow, uh, some short testimonies or sharing. Okay? We'll end by six, and we're going to eat at that time. All right, please have some just sincere prayer to the Lord with your neighbor. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Well, doesn't matter.